This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 28th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. A new study shows that the total ownership cost of an electric car is near that of a conventional internal combustion vehicle, but dealers are having a tough time getting customers to do the math. We'll have details and our thoughts on that coming up. A well-regarded sports car brand from the past might soon see a revival in the United States. We'll tell you what that brand is and have more on the story coming up, too. And the Biden administration's new rules on the national EV charging network could drastically change the way Tesla does business. We'll have the details on that coming up later in the segment. It's got far-reaching effects beyond Tesla, but certainly Tesla is affected in a big way by this. I'm Jack Nierad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how you can get the most for your automotive dollar. Chris, uh, what did you do uh, most recently? It sounds like you had an interesting time with the family. Yeah, we're uh, the kids are on February vacation. It's kind of a pre-spring break here. We went to a museum and got to see some interesting AI-driven robots. It's a little frightening for our future, I believe, but they're very, very cool to look and, and watch what they do. Yeah. How about you? Well, we have what's called Ski Week in Manhattan Beach, uh, although my kids are out of public schools here. But my daughter was in town, so I had a little family time, too. So that was kind of cool. I like that. Went out to the desert and had some time. Desert and the Ski Week. It doesn't kind of add up together, but that's what <laughs> happened. Uh, what vehicle are you going to be telling us about this week? I drove the 2023 Chevrolet Silverado 1500 ZR2, very beefy off-road pickup truck. A lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I've had a chance to drive that, too, so we'll have a nice discussion about that, I hope. Uh, I was driving the 2023 Mazda CX-5 Turbo. Of course, the Mazda CX-5 is a car tester favorite among the uh, compact SUVs, so we'll talk about that. And I'll tell you what I discovered later in the show. It's getting kind of long in the tooth, but uh, we'll see how it stacks up. We have an excellent guest. Brian Wallace is a Volkswagen product planner and vehicle expert. He'll be talking about the first public showing of the 2024 Volkswagen Atlas, heavily revised for 2024. So I think you'll enjoy the interview we had with him. Very knowledgeable guy about that vehicle and about Volkswagens in general. Uh, Before we do anything else, though, we'll give you some of the most important auto-related news from around the world. And let's uh, jump right into that. Let's talk about total cost of ownership and battery electric vehicles. Of course, this is an area of maybe highly complex, maybe more complex than uh, it should be or needs to be, or just to understand it. I mean, I don't think the typical uh, car buyer looks deeply enough at, at cost of ownership in the first place. And then when you throw in the electric vehicle thing, it gets even more difficult to comprehend. I mean, what's your overall take on cost of ownership, even before we dive into EVs? Yeah, you know, I can't tell you how many times, how many people I've talked to who have never opened the hood of their own car, who have never taken the time to check their own air pressure or change their own oil. And I get it, new cars are less complicated, they're more reliable, but uh, people don't factor those things into the ownership experience. You know, EVs are a little bit different there, but if you don't understand just the basics, uh, it's going to be tough to make the conversion to anything, much less an electric vehicle. Yeah. In uh, a positive way for uh, battery electric vehicles or BEVs, uh, J.D. Power says about one-fourth of all of the ones on the market now cost less to own and maintain over a five-year ownership period than uh, internal combustion engine vehicles. Of course, all uh, most of that hinges on residual value, what that vehicle is worth 
at the end of that five-year period, that's a big, big part of this. Uh, depreciation is your biggest cost. And that's something that's being estimated because nobody quite knows. Uh, we'll have to see. I mean, uh, you probably have some thoughts on that too. Well, recent market trends, you know, it's really hard to, to say where that's going to go because used vehicle prices are way, not way, but they're elevated above where they were just a couple of years ago. Electric vehicles are a big, are a big part of that because they're in demand. So it's good that you point out depreciation. I was thinking more of the uh, wear items and the maintenance cost of EVs, but you are right. Depreciation is a big cost. So it will be interesting to see. I mean, Tesla so far is the only brand that we've had several years of to, to kind of get a feel for, and they've done very well in recent years. So uh, who knows? Yeah, much better in residual value than before. And uh, again, I have to wonder what a uh, battery electric vehicle is going to be worth after, say, 10 years. You know, as, as the battery pack kind of deteriorates and, and goes to just not much capacity. Uh, and I guess we're not sure whether that's 10 years or 15 years or if it ever happens or if it you know happens sooner than that. Uh, it doesn't seem to be happening sooner than that. But uh now, that's an, such a giant part of the uh, overall value of a, a battery electric vehicle that uh, we'll have to see. Another big important thing is tax incentives, and those are all over the ballpark. I mean, we've been reporting about that on the show over and over again over the course of the last several weeks because it's an unfolding story. But as that changes, the, the cost of ownership changes. If you're not getting that kind of incentives or you have too much income, because that's one of the big changes. If, you, if you're making too much money, you don't get the tax breaks uh, that you used to get. And that changes things all around. I, as a dealer trying to explain that, I, you know, I'd be, have to be scratching my head and just going crazy. Yeah, and you can actually, so the new rules as we talk about the ones that have changed recently, you can get a, an EV tax credit for used vehicles now uh, for up to $4,000, but the price can only go up to $25,000. Uh, so that marks out a good chunk of the used EV market. Tesla, uh, a lot of the ones we're seeing are way above that, even when the batteries are degraded. So uh, it's, it is a, I've expressed my frustration with it a few weeks ago in that it just seems to be so hard to understand and ever changing. So, uh, you know, if we could just settle into a place where people understand what they're going to get, then <laughs> the, the, things may be a little easier for used buyers and new buyers. Right. I, I talked a little bit earlier about residual values. And, you know, here's some statistics on it. Uh, this according to uh, a story in Wards. Uh, Three-year-old EV is uh, worth just under 60% of its MSRP. In 2015, the residual values uh, were 20%. I mean that's a huge swing. I'm I'm hard pressed to think that it has changed that much uh, over that short a period of time. Uh, but what we ran into, I think, in 2015, were vehicles that, uh, when the batteries degraded somewhat, they suddenly had less than 100 miles of range. You're talking about Nissan Leaf and and that kind of vehicle. So uh, on the other hand, we had Teslas around then too. And uh, I'm hard to hard pressed to believe that they dropped that much in value. Well, the media and I guess the public awareness landscape has changed significantly since 2015 as well. So that could play a big part in it. Right. Well, we teased the fact that uh, a, a former brand, a sports car brand that was in America might come back. And that brand is Alpine. Pretty cool sports car. Their A110 is what they're thinking about bringing into the United States. And they're looking to team uh, with a an automotive retailer, Auto Nation, to bring that back. Uh, you know, what's your overall take on that? This is a pretty cool looking car, isn't it? Yeah, man, I am into this. If Auto Nation's got the, they have the dealership network. They're one of the largest, probably dealership conglomerates in the world. 
to bring these cars in that the automaker couldn't do otherwise and that nobody else is willing to help with, I'm all for it. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the prices right now. So you can buy the top of the line one for just under 90,000 pounds. And, and so I wonder what that will translate with $105,000 US. So uh, it's an upscale car. I've ridden in one. I've never driven one. It was an older model. Uh, reminded me a lot of a very upscale, very uh, composed Miata with a little bit more attitude. And so uh, if there's a market for it, you know, I was just sitting here thinking how I'm going to scrounge up $100,000. Yeah, well, it's a, <laughs> and also you could buy three Miatas for that. So uh, uh, <laughs> you got that going for you, too, or, you know, at least two very well-equipped Miatas and have some change. Uh, a really cool car, though, and uh, a lot of horsepower, a lot more horsepower than uh, any Miata is going to have as, as standard equipment, that's for sure. So. Uh, that's kind of cool. Well, we talked about this uh, the new EV charger rules a little bit. We teased that, and that could have big effects because um, they're changing uh, what they want uh, the chargers to be or where they want the chargers to be made, number one. 55% of their costs should come from U.S.-made components by 2024. That probably changes things around markedly because it's not happening now. And then they uh, they want to uh, standardize the uh, the charging connectors, and that's a big deal, I think, for Tesla, which has its own proprietary connector. Standardized payment options, connectors, uh, U.S. standard, um, and here's a, here's one I think you will like too. They want them to work ninety percent ninety seven percent of the time. <laughs> they want the chargers to be on ninety seven percent of the time. I don't know how they're going to police that. I hope they don't actually. Uh, but what's your reaction to all this, Chris? Well, we talked, and I've said the word a million times, the infrastructure in this country has a long way to go before we reach anywhere near being able to support EVs to the degree that the people want us to, to drive them. Uh, doing that through, with the help of private business, whether you wanna you know, bemoan the fact that Tesla now has to put on different, or will have to put on different connectors and not that gives them not so much, that takes away some of their exclusivity. I mean, that that might not be the best part of it, uh, but I think, you know, the, any help the network can get is going to be great. You know, Tesla is going to open up a portion of its supercharger and destination charging network. Uh, I don't know if that means they're going to replace all the plugs or, you know, add an adapter to that. They do sell an adapter. So or if they're going to require the drivers to have their own. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, Jack. I'm not sure how I feel exactly about it, but I think it does give Tesla both a little bit of a challenge and an opportunity because it opens up the the, the ability for them to get some funding in this program too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think that's the carrot at the end of the stick here is there's some federal funding. And oh, I'm always leery about that because federal funding can change, you know, as Congress changes, as things change, suddenly incentives go away. We talked about total cost of ownership being incumbent upon incentives and those can go away as we've as we noted <laughs> most recently over the course of the last six, eight, 12 months. So uh, it's always a crapshoot, but uh, we'll have to see what happens there. And as you say, uh, some problems turn out to be opportunities and vice versa. So we'll see how that unfolds. And when we come back, uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be doing some road testing. And we'll be road testing the Chevrolet Silverado ZR2, cool off-road truck, and the Mazda CX-5. So stay with us for that with Chris Teague. This is Jack Redden. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you, and it is road test time on America on the Road. We love to drive cars. We live to drive and drive to live. So um, you were driving an off-road vehicle. In the midst of a main winter, tell us about it. 
Yeah, you know what's funny is sometimes I get these trucks and I fantasize about taking them out into the snowy pasture and having a great time, but we don't have any snow on the ground right now, at least at any degree that counts, and it's been up in the 50s, so there was some mud, so I guess I could take that as my my blessing. But this is the Silverado ZR2. It's the off-road version. They do have off-road packages, the Z71 package that you can add to the standard Silverado, but this is like a standalone model on its own. It gets unique body work. It has uh, a lot of underbody off-road goodies. So uh, the price on this truck starts at a little bit more than $72,000, around $72,000. Mine was auctioned up to just under $80,000, Jack. Under the hood, there's a 6.2 liter V8. It's a naturally aspirated V8, so no superchargers here like you get in the Ram TRX. Uh, there's still a 420 horsepower, 460 pound-feet of torque. It's got a 10-speed automatic transmission and four-wheel drive with a two-speed transfer case. And Jack, this 6.2 liter, I think is my favorite current GM V8, uh, other than the supercharged you know, versions you can get in some other cars. What do you think about the ZR2's powertrain? I really love the V8. After coming out of the electric F-150 Lightning the week before, it was a big a big change. I mean, there's something cool about a big high torque, you know, high displacement uh, V8 engine. It has a nice feel to it. It's a very flexible kind of engine. I like it. I like that thing. And I think it, it works well with a, an automatic transmission. I mean, it's just plenty of power at any one time. Yeah, you know the contrast between electric and gas vehicles. You get the instant torque of hitting the gas and the F1 or the gas, the throttle pedal, I should say, in the F150 Lightning. Uh, but the ZR2 is a little bit more relaxed. Obviously, it's a gas powertrain. It doesn't have that same off-the-line punch. But this truck is surprisingly responsive. The powertrain. There's a lot of. There's a good throttle response. The brakes are responsive. The steering, despite the 33-inch off-road tires and off-road shocks, a very again, a very again, uh, you know, predictable, comfortable steering on the truck. Uh, so inside, this uh, is a crew cab truck. It only comes in crew cab configuration. It's got five seats, jacket, six feet tall. My now taller six-year-old daughter uh, had no trouble squeezing behind me, even when her sister was already sitting in the chair. So I can tell you, if you're worried about buying one of these trucks uh, as an off-roader, but you also need to use it every day, this is one of those vehicles, just like a regular pickup truck that you can use. Yeah, and you're saying your your daughter is taller, but she's not taller than you. She's taller than she was. She's not no. taller than six feet. Right? She's t- taller than she was. She came out of a full-size car seat, went to a booster seat, huh. uh, and now she's grown to the point where she takes up the room that she did in a full-size car seat. Ah, okay. Yeah, I wanted to establish that because it, it, we've established you're six feet tall and... I you know, just wanted to see where she was at. Yeah, I'll measure her sometime too. Uh, we'll we'll get to that. But uh, so the truck has a 13.4 inch touchscreen. Uh, Chevy recently updated the Silverado's interior. I think they did it for 2022, maybe for 23. But in any case, the truck is now far nicer inside than it was before. It doesn't feel like the work truck base that it had before. Even the nicer trends of older Silverado still felt kind of rugged. Uh, but this, even as an off-road truck, it's got leather upholstery, heated and cooled seats. Uh, I love how Chevrolet incorporates buttons into the dash so that you can control things like automatic stop-start uh, and some other fee- uh, the locking differentials without having to go into the touchscreen. Uh, so it's very nice to have the mix of physical and, and on-screen controls here. As I mentioned, 13.4-inch touchscreen, wireless Apple CarPlay, wireless Android Auto, uh, the full suite of Google services, which is also very cool. I want to get your opinion on this in just a minute. you got Google Voice Assistance, Google Maps, uh, and the full suite. You have Google App Store as well. I think that the way that they've been able to incorporate these uh, Google uh, Auto, I think it's called, or Android Auto as, uh, as it is, 
uh, is very seamless and it actually helps. Volvo did the same thing. Jack, what do you think about these uh, new Google-driven systems? Yeah, I, I always kind of wonder how they play with Apple. And I know you're an Apple guy and I have Apple products as well. And it seems like they play okay. Did it, did it do so in the ZR2? Yeah, and you know the wireless Apple CarPlay connected faster and more reliably in this truck than in the F-150 Lightning before it or even in my uh, Volkswagen Golf, which I connect my car in all the time. So no complaints from the Apple uh, side of things there. And I think the Google services are a big bonus for people who spend a lot of time in their truck. You know, you can navigate to gas stations. You can uh, The advanced navigation with Google Maps is fantastic. You bring in some of the features of Waze, like traffic and things like that. So it works out really well. Uh, at the same time, the truck has a full suite of safety features. Now, these are not all standard, Jack, but it did come uh, with Ford collision warnings, automatic emergency braking, uh, lane departure warnings, blind spot monitoring, uh, rear view camera, 360 view camera, and all, and all those things. So all around, I think, you know, if you're going to spend 80 grand on this pickup truck, I might look for a little bit less uh, off-road ability and more on-road comfort. But I think if you want an off-road pickup truck, it's hard to go wrong with a ZR2. Now, it's not going to be like the big... Uh, extreme truck like a Ram TRX or even the Ford F-150 Raptor, but uh, it's a good compromise, especially if you love Chevy trucks. And I didn't have any problems with it at all. Yeah, I think there's a lot to like about it as an everyday truck. I mean, you can use it as an everyday truck and then it has serious power and uh, serious off-road ability. So I think they did a good job with it. I, I've, I've been pleased uh, when I've driven it myself. And I had a chance to drive it off-road actually in a uh, Motor Press Guild function uh, about a year ago, I think. So pretty cool. Well, I was driving a vehicle that is one of the darlings of uh, car testers around the world, and that is the Mazda CX-5. I was driving the turbo version of this. You know, Mazda's really kind of taken the CX-5 upscale. They've taken their whole brand upscale, really, in, in some ways, or they're trying to do that. They're kind of in between luxury and mainstream uh, these days. And one of the ways they uh, they have taken it upscale is they made all-wheel drive standard. Many compact SUVs uh, start out at a lower price with front-wheel drive. Uh, some actually have rear-wheel drive, but uh, most are front-wheel drive. And uh, I think that's a, a pretty good move for Mazda. I think they know their, what their market is. They also have added a lot of standard safety features, another move upscale, including uh, adaptive cruise control with stop and go, uh, smart brake support, uh, city brake support, which is uh, essentially um, intersection kind of uh, emergency braking, a blind spot monitoring, rear cross traffic alert, lane departure warning, lane keeping assist, all of that stuff's standard. You'd, you'd pay more for it on and many, many other trucks. Of course, uh, a lot of the CX-5s are pretty premium priced, <laughs> so you have that. They also equip their vehicle with this G-vectoring control, which is not precisely torque vectoring, but it has handling advantages, mostly on the street, which is one of the reasons the car testers love the CX-5. I mean, uh, as I said, it also has all-wheel drive. So this is monitoring the weight distribution and, and applying the power to the wheel that can give them the most power. It really works, and uh, you know it feels good. I mean, it, certainly I love the handling of the CX-5. I certainly love it with the extra horsepower of the turbo. What's your overall take on CX-5? Yeah, we said it a bunch of times. Mazda wins in all of its SUV segments with the fun-to-drive vehicles, upscale interior, and sleek styling. And the CX-5's got all of them, even if it is, if it is a little bit dated. Uh, it's one of those vehicles that you get behind the wheel and it just feels right. Even even with you know three or four seats behind you in a full cargo hold, it's a fun to drive uh, family hauler. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, it goes way, way back, doesn't it? They just seem to keep improving the vehicle, but they haven't changed it much. 
uh, since before 2020, I think maybe 2017 or 2018 was when this generation began. On the other hand, it still looks good. So uh, it, it has that going for it. Powertrain in the turbo, very, very cool. A 2.5 turbo, 2.5 liter, 256 horsepower engine, 320 pound-feet of, of peak torque. When you're running premium gas, when you run regular, it's 227 horsepower and 310 pound-feet. Uh, probably not noticeably different with the, it's the torque that you're probably going to feel and you only drop 10 pound-feet of, of torque. It's just a responsive engine and it works well with the uh, automatic transmission and, and the all-wheel drive. It's just it's a fun-to-drive vehicle. There's no getting around it. And uh, it looks good, too. They have given it a gloss black front grille. The door mirrors are black. The lower bumper is black. The wheel arches are black. The rocker molding is black. So black treatment, <laughs> very popular now. A black metallic finish, 19-inch alloy wheels. You've got uh, leather seats with red accents. My wife hates red seats. She just detests that. But uh, yeah, I think they're kind of cool. I think guys like red seats for some reason. And the red stitching on the instrument panel, the door trim, leather-wrapped steering wheel. So, you know, this is a good model. It, it is certainly not bargain-priced. The MSRP on this thing is close to $37,000. I mean, that's, that's a big price for a compact SUV, nearing $40,000. That's a lot of change. I mean, what's your take on pricing and, and that? Well, you pay more, but with Mazda, you actually do get a little bit more with it, too. So I think, you know, uh, there is some some give and take there. I don't know what the right way to put that. But I think that I've never gotten into a Mazda and looked at the price tag and said, man, I don't think that this vehicle is worth it. Where I have done that in some other models, which I'm not going to call out right now. But I think they do a good job in justifying the price. Yeah, I absolutely think there's value there. And, you know, this is such a fun-to-drive vehicle in so many ways. And, and certainly a useful vehicle is a compact SUV. I mean, it doesn't... Ha- lose any of the uh, utility. I think the CX-9 probably is a little smaller than its competitors, but the CX-5, I think, is pretty much right with the competitors in terms of size. Maybe when they finally do a different generation, they'll go up a little bit in size, but uh, you know that's what's going on with it now. So uh, vehicles that we like, the ZR2 from Chevrolet, the Chevrolet uh, Silverado ZR2, value there, and certainly value from the Mazda CX-5 Turbo. So cool stuff. And when we come back, we will be speaking with Brian Wallace. He is a Volkswagen product planner and vehicle expert. He's going to be talking about the 2024 Volkswagen Atlas, which is heavily revised. So stay with us for that interview. And we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Hi, this is Jackie Rad, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to Fatal Photographs, my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him, he meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days, he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel. So he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? 
Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle ebook at Amazon and at E.M. Lancey Publishers. Right now, it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Arney Red back with you at the Chicago Auto Show with a terrific guest. Brian Wallace is with us. He is product marketing director for Volkswagen, and you're going to be talking about something that's uh, over your shoulder here, uh, a vehicle about to be unveiled here at the Chicago Auto Show. Tell us all about it. That's right. Thanks, Jack. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, So yeah, so today's uh, super exciting for us in uh, Volkswagen, Volkswagen of America here. We've got the world reveal of the new model year 24 Atlas and Atlas Crossport. Uh, So we're really looking forward to finally showing this car to the world um, after personally working on it for many years and you know the Atlas has been a huge success for us sold you know many many thousands of units of both the uh, the three row Atlas and the two row Atlas Crossport and we're very excited to bring this newest edition of both of those cars uh, to American roads. It's really been a game changer for for you hasn't it the Atlas uh, you know getting a kind of an American sized SUV into the Volkswagen lineup has really been uh Something that you, you needed and uh, it's been very successful for you too. It has. It's been a huge success story for us. So, you know, we had, of course, a long history with small vehicles, of course, going back to the, the, the Beetle um, and all the millions of those that came on the roads. And, uh, you know, for a long time, Volkswagen had the perception in people's minds of, oh, well, they only make small cars. Well, that was true to an extent, but of course, the Atlas was, in fact, a game changer for us. It was a full size, you know, mid-size American SUV geared for the American market, American roads, American families, with three rows. I'm a dad of two kids myself. I've got, you know, I've got an Atlas at home, uh, and it's great for the family, family road trips, hauling around ki- uh, town, going to school runs, uh, little league games, things like that. It's perfect. Yeah, it really is. Uh, well, tell us how it's been renewed for uh, 2024. So it's been very, very heavily renewed. Uh, we've got an all-new engine and powertrain that we're excited to share. It'll have better fuel economy, better torque, better off-the-line performance, better around-town drivability. It's got a new, uh, substantially different body uh, on the front and the rear particularly. You'll really notice it at a first glance that this is, in fact, the new Atlas. It's a new car. It's new and different and improved. We think it's a very striking design mm-hmm. that we're looking forward to showing to everybody a little bit later So is today. it more than German new? Because German new is like changing a grill and maybe some taillight. <laughs> Moved the line. <laughs> you we moved to cut crease line by four millimeters, and yeah, therefore it's a new. Right, now this right. is substantial. I can promise you that you and uh, the American public and uh, our our dealer partners across the country will definitely be able to tell that this is truly the new Atlas. It's uh, definitely different to the naked eye at first glance, or from across the dealer lot. And it's good looking. It really is. I've seen a preview of it. Okay. Your nice folks have sent me some preview photographs uh, okay. let me see what was we were talking about here and it's uh, very very cool isn't perfect it? perfect and i think we're excited about not only is it new on the outside but as i mentioned it's also new under the skin as well i mentioned the powertrain a few minutes ago we've also got an all-new electrical architecture under there with lots of new uh, infotainment capabilities lots of new driver assistance bigger systems, screen right much bigger screens um so really which is where the future of the whole industry is going as you can see from all the new debuts around us here in the Chicago show. So lots of new capability in the car as well, all the way through the car from top to bottom, front to back, and under the skin as well. One thing that struck me in in reading the press materials was uh, new interior kind of uh, materials and those kind of things, right? You kind of stepped up the game in terms of interior look. We absolutely did. And you're always looking to make the new car better, make it uh, more appealing to your customers who are new to the brand or those coming back to the brand. And uh, so the new Atlas, 
will definitely have a noticeable, significant improvement in the interior materials, the seating, the dash, uh, the, the controls, and uh, all the surfaces that you touch and see and feel uh, day to day as a consumer, as an owner and driver of these cars. Right. One of the things that Volkswagen seems to have been able to do with the Atlas is still keep that European feel to it. The, the handling precision, mm -hmm. you know, much more so than the typical body on frame big SUV. Talk about that a little bit, would you? Well, you know, we're, we're still a German company at heart, of course, and we still have all of our Autobahn DNA that's in the heart of the Volkswagen brand and has been since the inception. And, you know, you don't go away from that when you're engineering a vehicle for the American roads, even something as big and as uniquely tailored to the market as the Atlas. It's still got that kind of German heritage, that Autobahn DNA, the precise ride and handling, the body control, things like that, to really give it that, that held, that glued to the road feel, if you will. Will the Atlas be sold in other markets? Is, is it, uh, say, China, for example? That's a market that has similar uh, sensibilities to ours, correct. I think. You know, I mean, obviously, Volkswagen's a huge global company, and we do look to share componentry and vehicle platforms and things like that where we can. So the Atlas does have a uh, counterpart in the Chinese market called the Terramont. Um, and the, even the Atlas built here in our plant in Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, will be exported as it has been to Canada, to Mexico. So Canada, it's called the Atlas, just like it is in the U.S. In Mexico, it's the Terramont, and in many other uh, markets around the world, South Korea, the Middle East, South America, um, it's sometimes badged as Atlas and sometimes built badged as Terramont, but all coming out of our factory in Chattanooga. What are some of the things about the um, the renewed vehicle for 2024 that you find most appealing? Where, where do you think you made some big I think gains? The, the, the design is where you start. It's a really eye-catching design. I know you've got a sneak peek of, of some of the, the look and we'll be able to show it to the American public and the media um, around the world here a little bit later today in Chicago. Uh, so the design is extremely striking. We think it's new, it's different, it's futuristic, it's forward-looking. Uh, it'll be instantly recognizable day or night on the road as a Volkswagen, which we think is super important for our brand. And uh, so that's one of the absolute key things that jumps out of you right away. In addition, the other probably most significant thing to most of our customers will be that all new interior where you really see it, the, the part of the car you see and touch and feel every day, getting in, getting out, you know, dealing with your family, with your kids, driving to school, driving on family road trips, things like that. It's just a much more user-friendly environment, much more premium environment, um, and just a better place to spend, uh, spend time. Right. It's, it strikes me, I've been doing this a long time, when we were used to review vehicles, we'd start with the engine and kind of work our way out to talk about all the other things. And, and these days, we're talking about infotainment systems and soft touch materials in the inside of the vehicle, mm -hmm. and the powertrain, less important. I mean, what, what's your take on, on all that as, as a guy who plans products? Well, we do plan products, and, and like we were talking before the show, I'm a car guy through and through, have been my whole life, so the powertrain is always super interesting to me, but you know, recognizing that for many consumers, especially in a segment like the Atlas, maybe that's not the first thing they, they shop for, but you want it to be good enough, right? So I can say that you don't need to know all the technical specs of it, but it will be better, it will be faster, it'll be quicker off the line, I'll have that, that pickup around town, that, that uh, power for merging onto the highway, as well as better fuel economy than our outgoing Atlas uh, V6, and this new car will in fact have a turbocharged four-cylinder engine, very advanced technology, it's a new engine for us. Uh, and it's just great in drivability, uh, great in sound quality, and will be a big help with better fuel economy as well. What's the transmission? What's it backed up by? It's an eight-speed automatic transmission. Yeah, good stuff. So a, a real geared transmission. A real geared transmission. It is not a CVT. Yeah, yeah. Certainly Volkswagen has been may, uh, making big efforts on electrification. Mm -hmm. 
and then you have three-row conventionally powered vehicles. Mm -hmm. Not kind of nothing in between in terms of plug-in hybrid or hybrid. And any thought of that, or, or what's the philosophy for, there? For sure, and we're always looking at hybrids and plug-in hybrids and all kinds of technologies that are available around the world. And uh, so I can say we don't have one of those ready to announce today, but I can say stay tuned. It's always something that's on our radar that we're looking at to see what is the future of the industry and the future of the market going forward. But of course, Volkswagen has made it a strategic initiative to push very heavily into the electrified vehicle space. Of course, we've got the award-winning ID4 on the market today. It's been extremely successful for us. And, and we've, of course, got the, uh, the iconic ID Buzz coming next year. As Can't well, wait, yes. As well as the ID7. It's very exciting to add those vehicles to our portfolio here in the U.S. Uh, and, of course, I can assure you that there's lots more on the drawing board or in the pipeline for years coming down the Tell our uh, uh, listeners and viewers a little bit about ID Buzz in case they haven't got the buzz on that. Because so, well, very, it's very cool. Sure thing. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it's certainly it's one of the most, uh, the original bus mm -hmm. from the 60s is, of course, one of the most iconic uh, vehicles in the Volkswagen history. And we wanted to bring that iconic heritage and, and look and feel and, and practicality, usability, back to our, our portfolio here in the U.S. But with a modern step, of course, the electrified powertrain and modern design and packaging and safety that everybody's come to expect. So we're super excited about the ID Buzz that will come to the U.S. market uh, late next year. Um, it's tailored for our market. It's uh, bigger than some of the versions you're seeing on European roads now. Again, we've designed it for American, American users. Uh, and uh, so that'll be very exciting, and you'll hear a lot more about that in the yeah. months to come. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Can't wait to see it. So Volkswagen has a lot of flavors for uh, family car buyers these days, right? Yeah. We do. We've got everything from our entry-level uh, Jetta sedan, which has you know, been one of our, our sales leaders, one of our most well-known, well-recognized nameplates for many decades. Uh, in fact, we're coming up on 40 years of Jetta mm -hmm. here in the U.S. market. Um, and then, of course, we've got the, the Tiguan uh, sort of compact SUV, uh, that's a fantastic And it's car. really evolved in a, a great way, has it not? I mean, it started out maybe a little too small for this it, market it, and now it, is a, and that's a another, terrific vehicle. It's a terrific vehicle. It's another great example of how Volkswagen has maintained our German heritage and our German DNA, our Autobahn DNA, if you will, mm -hmm. while tailoring our vehicles to the American market with the size, the value, and the practicality that American consumers really want and need. And then, of course, we've got our three-row Atlas at the top of our lineup for the you know that mid-size SUV for American families in the three-row version, uh, as well as, of course, the Atlas Crossport in a slightly more stylish, slightly smaller two-row version. How do you define the Crossport versus the uh, the Atlas, the three-row? Well, we would define them both as, as mid-size SUVs uh, and, and really, but probably focused on a little bit different customers. Those three-row yeah. SUV buyers tend to be families with, uh, with children, especially multiple children, especially younger children. Uh, I fall into that camp myself uh, with two elementary school boys. Um, nice. But, uh, and then the, uh, the Atlas Crossport tends to be people who either don't want or don't need that third row. So it's got lots of spacious room in the second row, lots of cargo room still, but uh, does not have a third row, but it maintains a slightly more stylish, uh, sleek design if you will, particularly on the, the sort of the back half of the vehicle. Well, Brian Wallace, thanks so much, uh, Volkswagen. Thanks so much for being with us. All we right. do appreciate it. Thank you, Jack. Great to be here. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road. It is listener question time with Jack and Erad and Chris Teague with you. I'm Jack and Erad. Chris Teague is along for the ride as our co-host and uh We've got some, I, I think, pretty interesting uh, listener questions, Chris. Uh, here's one that probably a lot of people are have the same kind of thoughts. This is from Vernon in Las Vegas, Nevada. This is what he says. I'm looking at buying an EV, and obviously Tesla is a brand to look at. 
Do you see any downsides to buying a Model 3 or Model Y? Should I be looking elsewhere? I don't see any specific downsides other than brand preference. If you love Tesla, you don't like Tesla, whatever you feel about Elon Musk, that might be one of the deciding factors for many people. Uh, I will say that the pricing and what you get with those vehicles, you might be able to find a similar model from Hyundai, like the Hyundai uh, Ioniq 5, the Kia EV6, uh, and some of the other vehicles in those classes that match up. Uh, you know, the Ford Mustang Mach-E is a good alternative. You can start looking at some of these other vehicles that, that have responded to Tesla's price cuts by also re- re- responding by cutting their own price. Uh, and some of them were cheaper to begin with, so you may have better luck there. Uh, but they're both fantastic vehicles. You know, I've driven a Model 3 and a Model Y and came away with, they're not the most exciting vehicles, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with the way they drive and, and look and feel. Yeah, I agree with you. I think one thing that you might think about now is w- what we talked about at the top of the show, and that's the supercharger network that was one of their proprietary values, something that was exclusive to them, probably won't be exclusive to them going into the future. Uh, so that's something to take into consideration Uh, Again, their pricing is pretty good. So if you were pricing that into it and giving some value to that supercharger network, maybe now you don't do that so much uh, because that's likely to change. But uh, otherwise, I mean, uh, the interesting thing about uh, Model 3 and Model Y and about Tesla in, in particular is mechanically they seem kind of bulletproof they they really are good mechanically but in terms of just fit and finish items and those kind of things i mean the kind of thing that a uh, a more established car company i mean certainly tesla's been around for a while now but you know a, a long time car company really puts screws their cars together i think a little better than tesla does so uh there it's a little different kind of uh thing that you deal with there yeah i do agree with that you know some people it's kind of hit or miss too. It's funny, you know, you see videos on the internet. Some of them are perfect. Some of them have panel gaps that are wide enough to stick your thumb out on one side and won't fit a quarter on the other. But as you say, they are by and large pretty, pretty good mechanically. Uh, you know, they're quick. They're very uh, responsive. But again, I think for me, you mentioned the residual value for me and a lot of people that I've talked to, it comes down to brand perception because there are a lot of vehicles kind of landing in that general price and capability range right now. Uh, so It'll be fun to see how it shakes out over the next couple of years for Tesla and the other ones in that in that class. Yeah, absolutely true. And uh, I think uh, we're going to see Tesla's market share go down just because there's so many competitors. It's not that there's anything particularly wrong with Tesla. It's just going to see more and more competition. And uh, that will affect it from a market share point of view. That really doesn't affect the consumer all that much. Anyway, so, you know, more industry inside baseball, I guess. Let's take another question. This is from Leo in Manchester, New Hampshire, up in, up in New England there. I'm looking for a three-row SUV from a luxury brand. I think I probably want an import, but I'd consider a U.S. brand. Do you have thoughts for me? Well, you and I may have some of the similar thoughts here, too. But I think, you know, depending on your budget, you have a few choices. Uh, the Mercedes-Benz GLS is an amazing vehicle if you've got the money to spend on it. Uh, plenty of room, tech, safety features. The BMW X7 is also a great choice. Again, a little bit more expensive. It's got some polarizing styling, uh, questionable styling, I'll say, that some people don't love. And then the Audi Q7 is also a good choice, too. But for me, if I was going luxury SUV and I wanted just the best three-row that I possibly could with the most space, I'm going to go Escalade and <laughs> I'm going to stick it there. That's my choice. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that, too. I know that Escalade is essentially like driving a full-size pickup truck in a way. I mean, it's it's about that size or close to it. 
And you mentioned some difficulty, you know, negotiating New England towns in that size of a vehicle. So it's interesting that you'd recommend that. And I think it's a good choice. I, I absolutely do. I, I endorse the choices you put out there as well. And I think there are some vehicles from Genesis that are a very, very cool luxury SUVs. I'm, I'm trying to think if one of them is a three-row, and I'm not certain of that, to tell you the truth. But uh, certainly if you can go with two rows, there's something from the Genesis brand. And then uh, the Lincoln uh, Navigator is kind of an interesting choice, too. I think they've done some some really good good work on that vehicle. It's not all that uh, visible, but uh, I think maybe kind of a sleeper choice in that segment. It doesn't look like you can get a three-row uh, GB70 jack. The back row is best suited for kids and shorter passengers. So that's the case with a lot of three-row SUVs, though. So not a knock against the GB70 at all. Yeah, and so something to consider there. Well, let's take a third question here. This is from Benny in Bay City, Michigan. And uh, this is, I think, kind of a fascinating question. Whatever happened to natural gas cars and trucks? I think I read that natural gas burns very clean and it can be used in regular engines, you know, conventional internal combustion engines, I think is what he's referring to. Why did that disappear? I think you're probably a lot more knowledgeable about this than I am, Jack. But as I understand it, there were two problems, maybe many more than that. But the first was that uh, packaging and holding natural gas in a vehicle takes more space and is less practical than regular gasoline. Uh, and then also the fact that the supply of natural gas is just not there. It's a lot like hydrogen where you can only fuel in certain places. There are a very small number of fueling stations, but I'm sure there are many more uh, reasons than that that you may be aware of that I'm not. Well, I think you, you mentioned a couple of the reasons. I think kind of the overarching re- reason is among the environmental folks, they just don't want any combustion. I mean, it can be very clean combustion, but to, uh, these days combustion also involves, as it always has, the creation of carbon dioxide didn't used to be considered a pollutant. I wouldn't call it a pollutant now, but but people want to get rid of it and there's no getting rid of it. Now, the interesting thing is we generate a lot of our electricity and even the clean generation of electricity comes from natural gas fire generators. That's good stuff. I mean, you're much, uh, from a clean standpoint, I think you're better off burning natural gas and generating electricity than generating electricity with coal. So, one wonders, well, why not just burn the natural gas in the car? But uh, I think packaging the natural gas tanks has to be compressed within the car. Uh, that's much more expensive than a fuel tank. Uh, the nice thing about it, though, is it burns in a conventional engine. So there are pluses and minuses. And in this particular instance, it seems like uh, the uh, minuses outweighed the pluses. And that's what we've seen. Of course, we've seen natural gas prices go skyrocketing over the course of the, uh, this winter. Our natural gas bill at home uh, is just crazy high. And I live in Southern California, so I can imagine what it might be uh, elsewhere. Yeah, we don't even have natural gas here. We burn kerosene in the winter, so whoo. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. Kerosene, really? Not even fuel oil, huh? I actually, I, I could be wrong with fuel oil. Yeah, kerosene is what we use. Uh, we have and we have a kerosene tank too so okay you don't have kerosene lamps though you have electric lights don't you yeah <laughs> it's not a kerosene power apple computer that you're running or something like that yeah the most expensive most expensive fuel here the heating oil though is, is a problem so i definitely get the cost around natural gas it will be interesting to see though going forward and toyota's talked about a lot about this it will take a pronged multi-pronged approach to reach lower zero emissions of which some might be uh some might involve internal combustion so uh, I'm not against natural gas or even, uh, you know, other things like hydrogen. So uh, I'd like to see where things play out. 
Well, an interesting thing when you look at hydrogen is hydrogen most often now is created or derived from natural gas. I mean, that's one of the simplest ways to get hydrogen. And uh, so I, I've always you know, wondered, well, why not just burn natural gas? There is some difference. I mean, the, uh, when you're using a fuel cell, uh, the only creation really is water vapor. Of course, water vapor is another uh, greenhouse gas, but it's not, never kind of counted in that kind of uh, situation. But I, I like the idea of fuel cells, but I certainly like the idea of uh, burning natural gas in cars too. I'm kind of an all of the above kind of guy as opposed to none of none of the above or only one of the above and but we don't see that across the board too much yeah i'm coming around i think uh, listening to and reading what i have over the past few months uh it's been a big learning experience for me but also it's changed my opinion on things i do feel that the like i said earlier the multi-pronged approach is going to be uh, our best shot to do it as fast as we think we need to so uh let's see if we can get there <laughs> yeah yeah well i think that's the end of the show i think that's a good thing to end on getting there because uh, we've got to the end of the show certainly and uh, thanks chris for being with us we appreciate you sharing your insight as always thanks for having me again jack thanks everybody for listening if you like what you heard and you want to take us wherever you go head to sportsmapradio.com there you can find us on the saturday schedule you can grab uh, a radio formatted version of our show or you can find our uh regular podcast version of the show on all the major platforms right there. Right, and I, I know you have a website that you'd like to tell people about, Chris, so why don't you tell them about that? Yeah, so uh, I've got yourtestdriver.com. Uh, we have uh, recently posted a long list of the vehicles with the best interiors, and we've updated our list of the safest vehicles for 2023. Uh, we're in the top spot on Google right now, so all you gotta do is search for safest cars of 2023, and we'll be right there. Nice, good stuff. Well, I'd like to plug my latest book. It is Dance in the Dark, a crime thriller based on true crime. It's available on Amazon as both a paperback and a Kindle edition. I think inspired by true crime is the important thing about Dance in the Dark. I think it's a pretty cool suspense story, so look for that. If you like our show, please pass it on. Listen on this radio station each week and then let other people know where they can find America on the Road on the radio. We also do a podcast, as you just mentioned, Chris. And we'd like to thank all the SportsMap Radio Network stations for carrying America on the Road. Most of all, we'd like to thank you for listening to America on the Road. So join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. Hi, this is Jackie Rad, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to Fatal Photographs, my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him, he meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days, he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel. So he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle ebook at Amazon and at E.M. Lancey Publishers. Right now, it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out.